You have made time for Behind the Buzz, a public fit theater company's occasional podcast, joining in conversation with actors and artists, uh, directors and playwrights about the myriad production processes that go into putting together our season of plays and um, stage readings. This is, believe, believe it or not, episode two of season three. I'm Joe Kukin, the producing director of APF, and I'm joined, as always, by our one and only artistic director, the one and only Emery Preth. Wow, that was a bit much. <laughs> over the, a bit over the top. I like it. I okay, like it. Good. Thank well, you. Thanks okay. for coming. Hi. And we are going to be talking today about Richard Greenberg's Three Days of Rain with actors Betsy Norton and her understudy, Jackie... Hold on, I've just been handed a sheet of paper. It says that Jackie was unable to make it today, so taking her place will be Hoops Lacutus. <laughs> Three Days of Rain is our first full-scale production of our 2022-23 season and begins our newly developed partnership with the folks over at Super Summer Theater. This show will be produced in their studio theater space, over at 4340 South Valley View Boulevard. It's a great space, and it, it really um, speaks to our aesthetic, I think, of a small, uh, uh, intimate, and in, in intense um, space. There's only 40, no, there's only 54 seats in this one, so you really feel as though you're right there in the midst of, of everything. So, um, let me just get this up in front and out of the way. The show opens on October 14th and runs for four weeks through November 7th. Showtimes are 7 p.m. with Sunday matinees, and we've brought back industry nights on Mondays, too, so there's really no excuse uh, not to get out to see this one. But if that's not enough info for you, you can visit our website at apublicfit.org for more. Okay, so, uh, AM, you know, we've spoken before about how we sift and... Uh, uh, sort through a mass of plays each summer before finally settling on a season. This this, this play, um, Three Days of Rain, we actually had not one but two out loud readings uh, before you and I really felt that we could commit to it in the season. Um, what 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 took so long? Uh, well, to speak to that specific question, I think because the play is pretty, um, it's a difficult play. It's really well written. Uh, the c characters are subtle. There's a lot of references from the 1990s and 1960s. Uh, it's a classic. Are we so old now that we're calling plays that are set in 1990s <laughs> period pieces now? Is that? Yes. Yes, we're, we're that oh, old. Okay. Yeah, we're so that old. the 90s are a period piece. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of language in this play, more language than some contemporary plays that we've worked on recently. And so it was going to be a, a difficult task in order to be able to produce it. Also, there are only three actors in, in the production because the uh, there's a construct in the play where in the 1990s, there are these 30-somethings who play the children of, or they play the children of their parents from the 1960s. Uh, they play the children of characters that we see in Act 2. Yes, yeah. exactly. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, and so that's that's a difficult ask yeah. uh, for three actors. They have to be really talented. They have to be able to hold up the play in, in such a way. And so we weren't sure if we had the talent to be able to do it, but we decided to push forward and we found three very, very capable I should say four very capable right. people to take on that task. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a fun acting challenge. We're going to talk more about that when we when we bring the. Mm -hmm. um, um, I also have a. The there, in. I have a more personal reason why uh, the play spoke to me. I was going to ask. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that or not. I, I sometimes you know that can be you know, a you touchy know. subject. Well, I don't. Well, no, no. Thank you for being respectful. Um, I don't know my father, and this play is about having. Um, misinterpretations or uh, preconceived ideas about our parents and I only know 12 things about my about my father because I've I've never met him only the, the only 12 things I know about my father are the things that my mother has told me I have a picture sitting in our living room yeah. I know what he looks like but I really don't know what he's like and what I think is interesting about when we think about our parents is we don't think about them when they're young. We think about them as being our parents. We don't think about them having sex. We don't think about them falling in love for the first time. We don't think about them in this way. Great. You've, you've now got me thinking about my parents having sex. So, <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> well, yes. And, and so what this play 
does for me personally is I get to live vicariously through the characters and I get to see what the parents are like in the second act, even though the children, the characters in the first act don't get to see that. Well, and it's funny too, in this, this play, one of the gimmicks is, I think he even calls it the inevitable journal. He finds mm-hmm. a journal in this old apartment, the inevitable journal, he says, which is a little bit, it's a little meta. I mean, that's a little self, mm-hmm. self-referential. It's a diary, a, a, a journal, the inevitable journal. It's, I think that's why he kept this place. It's the house of the journal. In going through the journal, it's his, it's his father's journal. He expects his father now to be laid bare because of this document that he's found. But it, it's frustrating for him, for, for Walker, because the journal is as quiet as the man was. It's very sparse. It's written in a very spare hand, whole, you know, days cryptic. and weeks. It's cryptic. And yeah. whole days and weeks Codes, are, yeah. Are, are, yeah, are mentioned just by a single sentence. May 12, 1972, I would kill to have a journal like that I was of, ask. of my father, but I don't even have that. But, but my point is, is that even even those evidences, right, cause mm-hmm. us to perhaps um, come to wrong conclusions. And we find that Walker actually has made some wrong conclusions about his dad. We 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 say the play. I mean, you've written a very nice director's note here where we talk about the perspective of. Uh, not just people in our lives, our children, our parents, but our perspective of our own past and how those perspectives change and sort of change the reality of our of our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, so I wonder. I wonder how your perspective would change if you were to stumble across a, a journal that your father had written. What would you hope to read in something like that? I just want some details. Yeah. <laughs> I would like some details. Like whether you have to worry about heart disease or... Uh, well, yeah, medical stuff would be, be nice. But I, uh, I, I think what we all... We want our parents to be good people, right? So yeah. I would hope that he would be a good person. Right. Uh, and I realize that people are not all black or all white in terms of like um, morality. But I would like to know that he had done some good in the world. Yeah. So... Well, I, let, let, let's bring in our, our guests um, today. Let me introduce really quick. Uh, everyone, you saw Betsy last season in APS Productions of Gloria and also in Things I Know to Be True, our last show from, from uh, last year. Uh, Betsy's from Indianapolis, born there, and has been performing since she was like nine yeah. Uh, from Shakespeare to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, Betsy's onstage work really has run on the gamut. We were just talking about Avita before we started recording. She was in that as well. Uh, I believe you even sang with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra for a number of holiday seasons, right? Yes. Yeah. Betsy plays uh, Lina and Nan. And Jackie Lacutis is making her debut with a public fit, um, serving as understudy for the roles of Lina and Nan. Uh, Jackie's only recently arrived in Vegas. We we <laughs> we snatched her up pretty much as soon as she landed. But uh, even though she's only been here like what a week, um, something like that. She still managed to perform out at Las Vegas Little Theater as well as uh, for the asylum. And I only recently discovered that all this time I was meant to be calling her hoops. Oh, stop, <laughs> <laughs> Jackie and Bessie. Thanks for for coming. Um, Amory's talked a little bit about the the discovery of the the journal and the perspective of uh, perspectives changing during the course of the show. Quite literally, in in a couple of moments, the entire set, the perspective of the set, literally changes. Um, I want to talk a little bit about perspective. Just from the point of, we, we, we rarely use understudies out at a, a public fit. We've brought an understudy in for this production. Your perspectives on the character, you both have different, I'm sure, approaches to to Lina and to, to Nan, but you both have to be in the same show. I mean, you both have to, at the end of the day, um, you know, when you step in, uh, Jackie, you, you can't recreate what Betsy does. I don't think Betsy is recreating what you do. You have to be in the same show. What is, what is that like? You know, this is the first time I've had an understudy for a show. Uh, Jackie's lovely. Um, I 
it's actually really interesting to step outside of the play and watch it from the audience and like and the blocking and to see everything. Um, it's kind of like stepping outside of yourself, which is a little weird, but also great because you get to see a perspective that you normally don't get to see as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not looking at yourself. You're no. looking at the, it's, it's, it's a weird It's a weird, differentiation. absolutely. I completely agree. Cause I, I'm not looking at myself, but it's also a chance to get to see the boys and Jackie interact and how the scenes play out and what's interesting and, and what is working in the scene. And you can pick up on those things by, by taking a step outside and watching. So that's your perspective. Jackie, you've spent a lot of time literally just watching rehearsal <laughs> yeah. and you know figuring out what the blocking is meant to be because that you do have to mirror you have to you have to hit the right place at the right time or you might get hit in the head with a bottle right literally yes. yeah yeah so Which i almost did but <laughs> you, no you you caught it like a champ i'm so proud i'm so proud of you but what what is that like spending so much time just sort of watching and absorbing what sort of things are you looking for uh, well, really, this is my first time being an understudy yeah, as well. So uh, going into it, I was not really sure what my job was to do. I thought I was supposed to be a parrot, you know, just when Betsy's sick, I'm going to go in and just do what she does. Um, but then AM, me and you had a conversation and you told me those words, <laughs> like, don't parrot don't Betsy. Parrot. Yeah. And find my own person. So then it kind of just opened back up to being like, okay, the boys just have to deal with, you know, <laughs> two different women or four different women. <laughs> That's true. Because you're, you're not just, you're not just play, yeah, you're not just understanding one character, Betsy, it's both of them it's because both. you both play two characters. Yeah, exactly. So I was just more so paying attention to the body language that Betsy was telling. Um, I know the script, you know, now for the most part. Uh, oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> it mean, all, please. But yeah, it, it's getting there. You know, just get me a little more time. <laughs> but no, um, and just just really taking that seat and seeing the whole play come together and how the boys would react to you, Betsy. And um, the way I could tell that same story but find it within myself. That's been, I guess, the biggest challenge, yeah. but it's also been a great experience because it's just so fun to see, you know, you see plays over and over again with different casts, but to actually be a part of that and be like, okay, well, how can I tell my version of the same person has been really cool. Can I tell the story you were working on? Um, because we worked you separately and we didn't sort of give the exact same direction to both of you. I should say, too, who the directors are for this play, Emery, you and I are directing this one. So we have some inside knowledge Huzzah. of what it's like. Huzzah, indeed. Yeah, yes. But, uh, you know, Emery was working with you, Jackie, on a scene that Betsy had already sort of gone through. And I think Emery's approach was to to work with what she saw as your strengths in these in these moments. The blocking was, you know, the, the same, but but the, the drive was different. And uh, when it was all over, we, we ran it through, and, and Betsy was in the room, and, and Betsy sort of turned to us and said, Oh, wow, that's a really good scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, also, just in terms of what Jackie brings to the table, you know, she has these like long fingers and she has these long nails and she just moves a little bit differently. And I was like, oh, we should we should really capitalize on, on that. You move differently. And so the physicality of Jackie is much different than the physicality of Betsy. Yeah. And we had a conversation about that. I was like, you should be allowed to explore that because Jackie is Jackie and Betsy is Betsy, right? And we don't want to put somebody in a box because it's no fun to try and imitate somebody because you don't have their life experience in your body. You have your own personal life experience. And part of being a really good actor is personalizing the text. You can't personalize somebody else's experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You would be sort of... Um I don't know, just reciting somebody else's autobiography. Yeah, and as soon as uh, Jackie got that note, it was like, boom, the, the character woke up. And, and this isn't a, I have to say, this isn't a, a useless endeavor, all this rehearsal time, because you're going to get a couple shows. Um, you don't feel like it's a useless endeavor. Not at all. You said this is your first time as an understudy. Is it something that, that um, I don't know, when we, when we asked you about it, I think our first words to you were, 
how good are you at learning lines? Because that's a pretty good line load for these characters. Yeah, it was. Well. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. And I was like, okay, now I got to put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> because, yeah, we, you had gotten me right out of callbacks or auditions or something. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, you want me to be a part of your production? Totally in. Because I was just really welcomed into your theater company and just the way you ran auditions and how professional you were. And I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Cool. I will say anything at this point to continue to work with these people. Um, but no, I mean, I went, I kid when I say I'm not off book, like I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Should Betsy need to, you know, lie down one day. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Is it, is it odd? I mean, we've, we've sort of talked about this a little bit, but I really want to be specific. Is it odd to watch each other and to say, oh, she stole that from me? Or, oh, I, I'm going to steal that from her. Is that a, is that a fair... Um, I don't, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say odd, but I will say there are a couple things that Jackie like, has done in rehearsal that I was like, oh, that's good. I'm, I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Anne-Marie's right. Like, I, I think we are different, you know, we're on a podcast, but Jackie's much taller than I am and she's gorgeous and she should use those oh. features. I do not have that height to work with. So I think the physicality, there is something to be said for that and mm -hmm. using that, our strengths and, you know, and making it, making it our own. Tell me about Lina. Tell me about, I, I, cause you know, when Anne Marie and I read this, this play, we saw this, these two female characters, Lina, and then her, her daughter who we meet in act one, uh, Nan, we need, we meet Nan first and then we see Lina later in, in act two. Tell me about Lina. I, Lina, um, for me anyway, feels like a, um, a really dynamic, almost Tennessee Williams and Williams type, uh, uh, character. She's a Southern uh, um, beauty, I guess, stuck in New York or, or in New York by choice. What, tell me about Lina. I, I agree. I think Lina's very dynamic. I think she's a complicated Southern woman. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, who admits but, to 30. Who admits <laughs> to 30. We have that in common. <laughs> but uh, but no, you know, it's fun to play a character like Lina um, because she is so dynamic. And I think in life, I mean, for me, I feel like day to day I'm more subdued and I keep things to myself to such a place, someone that is so not like that. And it's just so out there and free and open, but also has, you know, has her demons too. Yeah. It's a challenge, but also really, really fun as an actor to there's craft. There's a mystery to her. We find out yes. about her. We, we see her in a moment, but then we find out that uh, her, her future isn't completely sunny. We, we have some um, hints and admissions about what really, what really happens to her. Uh, you know, when we first read the play um, a couple of years back, I was a little uh, pissy, miffed, that I felt like Nan was didn't get enough lines in, in the first act. I didn't feel Und like... Underwritten, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, now working on the play, I see that she's like um, a silent strength for, for both of these men, and she has a very strong presence um, with these two very uh, neurotic males. But I feel like the whole first act is setting up the relationship between her, uh, between Ned and Lina. And, and it really, the play really showcases the character of Lina. Um, and, and in that way, it feels very Williams-like. It feels like the structure is almost like Glass Menagerie. We're waiting to see Laura and the gentleman caller. Right. It has a similar structure to me. Is this the moment where I should sort of give away the plot and talk about the real specifics spoilers. of the story? Well, yes, well, we I'll, always do the spoilers. We do the spoilers. I'll, I'll, I'll give a spoiler alert. I, I don't think I need to spoil too much, but we the, 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 the play opens in Act 1 with a brother and sister and their oldest friend um, gearing up to go to the reading of their father's will. He passed a, a year earlier, a year previously, and the reading of the will has been sort of been put off because the son has disappeared. But he reappears just in time to um, receive his legacy. Uh, his father and partner were world-famous 
architects, um, I legends, think legendary architects <laughs> yes. who were, I think, I think in some ways modeled on on Frank Lloyd Wright and, and his ilk. There is a particular house that they built that is uh, absolutely world famous that that Walker hopes to inherit. Um, that is Act One. He has discovered uh, Walker has discovered this journal about his father with whom he had a relatively contentious uh, relationship. He felt that his father uh, never spoke um, was utterly silent and didn't really uh, give him much affection at all. And then when the play ends after some sort of mysteries are, I won't say revealed because I think they're not really revealed. I think some mysteries are offered. Uh, we change our perspective as we go into act two Let's and we meet the parents. We meet the the mother and father. And in fact, the, the, the partner who is involved as well. Well, it's very typical. I mean, there are no parents that are perfect, right? And so these, these three, youngsters in in the first act right they 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 have some complaints they have some misconceptions about their parents and so uh what the second act offers is uh a more loving perspective about the parents and that's what i like about the play yeah i you would would you disagree well i i i think it offers a certainly a more realistic i mean we get to see the reality of what what their parents are, what those two people are, right. what their relationship was, and, and it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't always comport with what their children believed. I don't well, th- right. I mean, another spoiler alert, but Walker in the first act, right? He's really upset with his father because his father uh, is doesn't communicate with him. He's not emotionally supportive. But then we find out in the second act that he's a very emotionally supportive character. He's a facilitator. He's there to be a function for his friend. But the reason why he's quieter is because he has a stutter. He's literally a stutterer. Yeah, yeah. he's a stutterer. And so he he's very particular when he speaks and Walker misinterprets his silence as neglect. But when we really get down to the truth of it, he, he really is a, a loving man. And so, so that's what I'm making reference to. Sure. Well, and, and there, there's some hints about Lina's state of mind and, and the way that their relationship, um, Develops and and uh, whether or not she grooms him or he grooms her or what have you, and we find that that Lina wasn't always uh, joined with with um, Ned. Mm-mm. In fact, there's there's a, a a kind of a love triangle that that happens as well. We there's spent, always a love triangle. <laughs> well, <laughs> according to you, Emery, all plays are about love. So we've talked about this before. Do yeah. you feel like all plays really at their hearts are, are about love or a lack of love or a lack of love? Just a quick heads up for what we have in store at A Public Fit. We've been talking tonight about our first main stage show, Richard Greenberg's Three Days of Rain. That opens October 14th and runs for four weeks over at the Super Summer Studio Theater, 4340 South Valley View. Not at the usual place. That note was written in all caps on my info cards here, so it it, it must be important. Uh, It's a small, intimate venue, so get your tickets now. We had to turn people away last season during Things I Know To Be True, and I I hate doing that. After three days of rain, it's back to the library for Alistair McDowell's Brilliant Adventures, a staged reading with a fun sci-fi twist. Our second main stage show, An Oak Tree by Tim Crouch, takes us back to the Super Summer Studio Theater, and then we go back to the library for Octavio Solis's beautiful, poetic Lydia. We've entered into a partnership with the College of Southern Nevada, so our final main stage production, August Wilson's The Piano Lesson, will be presented in their amazing state-of-the-art black box at their Cheyenne campus. And finally, Audrey Cefali's Alabaster will close out the season with a stage reading at the Flamingo Library. Stay tuned to upcoming episodes of Behind the Buzz for even more information and even more conversations. We'll be talking with performers and directors, designers, and I bet we get a playwright or two this season. You know, we talk a lot about plays, and we spend a lot of time, I think the, I think you two would agree, we spend a lot of time in rehearsal diagnosing a, a script and really dissecting it and, and getting down to, to the heart of it. Can you remember, though, what your initial reactions were the first time you read the play? Was there a sense of, oh, why do they want to do this? It's not, nothing really happens. It's a, it's a very character-driven play. I remember when I first sat in, because everyone, like Betsy, you were like reading it, so I just sat back and I was like, wow, 
there's a lot of language I don't understand. Um, so why, this is, why is that? What's what's the, where does that? There was just I don't, I don't know. Like well, I'm not saying why did you hard. understand it. Like, I, said, <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean why don't you understand it. I meant I meant why do those characters speak? Because there's a lot of language I didn't understand. There are a lot of references. Oh really? That, oh yeah. That Emily and I had to look up. Absolutely sure. We had to look up some of that stuff. But uh, but it speaks to the characters who use that language. I didn't know what a flaneur was. Yeah. yeah. Um, those characters just know those things naturally. They're very educated, smart They're people. They're very educated, very privileged. Um, I come from the South, so I am very opposite of that. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it was just understanding that kind of elite family that they seem to have been. Um, it was taking me a while. I was like, ooh, this is this is juicy. I didn't see it going in the way it did. Yeah. Um, I kind of thought I had it figured out, and then it was just like, oh, no, you're wrong. Um, but I enjoyed it. I was just like, I'm going to have to read this and read this and continue to read this in order to fully comprehend. That's why I'm so thankful for the way you all like break down the script and the story, because I couldn't do it by myself. We, we spend a lot of time doing what we call table work, of really, really dissecting the play. Betsy, we uh, uh, were chatting today, and you mentioned that you had a lot of friends who knew the play, who, yeah. who had, had mentioned it to you that this was, was one of those plays. And I think you called it iconic. I don't know if I called it iconic, but I definitely, you know, a lot of uh, friends that are in the theater, I had mentioned I was doing Three Days of Rain, and I have a very good girlfriend who was immediately like, oh, Greenberg, it's on my bookcase right now. You know, she immediately knew. So I do think it it is a somewhat popular piece that people know of. Why? Um, Why I think, is it so popular? I think because of the writing. I think it's a good play. Um and in the 90s, you know, um, when it was originally done... It was written in 94? Yeah. 94, yeah. It, uh, that sounds right. 94, yeah. yeah. Um, it was on Broadway. I have no idea how the initial production was received. Um, but it had it a won, good cast. I think it won some Obies. It would have yeah. a... a uh, a, a great cast. Well, its it original a, production, I should, yeah. it should, should say, featured uh, John Slattery. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford and I, Patricia Clarkson. <laughs> yeah. So those were the the three that sort of opened up the the show, and then it it actually came back to Broadway some years later with um, <laughs> Julie Roberts. Yeah, Julie Roberts actually made her and Broadway Brad debut in and that and in that Bradley play. Cooper. Bradley Cooper. But but it was it was Julia Roberts Broadway Broadway debut. I think that put it on the map for a lot of a lot of folk. Um, I've heard it described as an actor's play, and I'm always suspicious when people use that uh, that phrase because it feels like, well, then it's just self-indulgent. What is it? A lot of, <laughs> is it a lot of skull holding and a last poor Yorix and shaking your fist at the sky and in, in sure. anger and tears and sobbing? It's not that kind of play. No, I can see where people would say it's an actor's play, but no, I, I agree with you. I yeah. don't think it's that kind of play. You know, I think for an actor to play the two different roles is where I see it as an actor's That's play because it's so juicy. It's so fun yeah. to get to do that. Well, this yeah. is, you know, uh, you didn't really do that with, with things I know to be true, but in, in, in Gloria oh. last season, um, yes, you, well, you played three or three, four yeah. well, and you really took to it. I think it was one of the reasons that Emery and I thought that you were just right on for this, this character, because you really seem to take to that. I, I do enjoy it. Um, I, I love to craft a character and uh, make them different um, and just, uh, you know, every aspect about them, their physicality, their language, how they react to people. It's very interesting to me. I really, I really enjoy it. So, yes, I did play three different characters in Gloria, and I'm excited to get the chance to do it again. I think, though, another what makes it an actor play is it's very subtextual, right? And there's a lot of overlapping dialogue. Yes. And, and uh, there's a lot of uh, um, Rich, uh, uh, Richard Greenberg was very careful in crafting those rhythms. And so you have to be a pretty skilled actor in order to find the subtext and to craft the rhythms in the right way. And I think our cast is doing a great job. But I also think we've been in rehearsal, right? Because here in Las Vegas, we can't rehearse for eight hours over a four-week period, right? right. We've been in rehearsal uh, 
for 10 weeks and we needed the whole 10 weeks in order to do it in order to find all of those nuances in order to be able to open this show you've 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 uh, in, in insult everybody's att- uh, intelligence you've used the phrase subtext what does that mean when um putting together a, a play and working on a script and how do you deliver that information to an actor well we say things right like for instance if i said to you I'm going to bed, <laughs> right? Uh, but what I'm really saying is, I hate you, <laughs> right? Because what an interesting example! <laughs> right? like she went right to it, but she didn't pause for a second. No. It was immediately right off the right, top yeah, of her head. Right off the top of her head. So we Fantastic. say things, but we mean other things. It's like the the hidden language beneath the text, the sub. Text. Well, and how do you, well how do you find that? Because a playwright can't write subtext. A playwright only writes text. So, what is the trick uh, in discovering the subtext and, and, well, and figuring really out, fleshing good, out what that is? Well, a really good writer, which I think uh, Greenberg is a is a good writer, is you can you can feel what the subtext is based on context clues of the actual text. Yeah, and, and so that's what he's done such a, a good job with. Sometimes. The, the writing is so ambiguous that you have to layer on subtext because you're not quite sure where it's going. But I, I don't feel like uh, Greenberg does that. The context clues in, in his play are so strong that it, it, uh, it can only be a couple of things. Now, personalizing and subtext are, are different. Like, Explain the difference. Uh, well, personalizing is like you bringing yourself to the text, right? Whatever personal history you have in your living instrument as an actor as an actor not as a character you bring that to the play uh, because we don't have the history of these characters the the playwright doesn't provide you know volumes and volumes and volumes of history about the, the character so it's up to the actor to bring that personalization to the text so they bring that personalization to the text, and then with that personalization, they find the subtext based on the context clues. Right. I don't know if that was clear. No, I think that was, I think that was very clear. I'm wondering if, uh, you know, Betsy and Jackie, if you two, if that was a comfortable way to work um, in, in hooking into those um, demands of the script, if that was, or whether it was, you know, easier to just say the lines, hit your marks, and don't bump into the furniture. Well, that's always easier, but that's not, that's not the most interesting know, choice. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, but is, that, but is that what you want to watch as an audience member? Right. No. Uh, Hit my mark. Yeah. Said the line, now let's go. Yes. <laughs> I think going back a little bit, you know, the the script, I, I concur with Jackie. At first read, I was like, oh, this is, this is a very language-heavy show. And I was a little bit worried, to be honest. I'm like, I hope that we can get across what the playwright playwright is trying to get across here um, with this language and that people really listen and hear it and hear the subtext of it. And so I think working on the subtext and bringing that out, I I hope is telling an interesting story that our audiences are going to want to watch. Well, that's a great question. We keep using words like subtext and personalization, and boy, that sounds pretentious and boring. Does it make for a, a pretentious and boring play? memory the play itself yeah no they don't the audience isn't analyzing the personalization and the subtext they're just they're seeing what we've presented having the experience yeah Yeah. they're not they're not scrutinizing that they're they're just taking their own experience right and they're relating it to whatever we bring to the table yeah right so in essence they're the fourth character yeah i like that i've always liked thinking of audiences as as fourth characters and there's a lot of of um there's a lot of fourth wall breaking in treating the audience as a character in, in this play. The first act uh, utilizes um, a monologue gimmick where the uh, characters speak directly to the audience, uh, literally, to, to literally tell their backstory, to present a certain amount of, of, of exposition. My parents marry because it was 1960 and one had to. They were there. And I don't that's a contemptible thing for people who have reached a certain age and never found anything better. I mean, forget about what happened later. Think of the moment. Some actors really like that. Some actors, not so much. I, I, I think Betsy, between you and Jackie, you might have different opinions on this. I don't think you like it much, Betsy. I don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, why is that? I don't know. I think because I I don't know truthfully um, because it's hard. Th- it's hard because I think you're breaking out of your story and your scene. Like I like to be in the scene with the person I'm acting with. Right. And so to immediately shift and that's exactly what happens in this script. I mean, it's literally like a shift out of nowhere. Right. Um, from, you know, from a scene with Andrew, um, into like, Oh, and now we're going to have a nice conversation with the audience and tell them all about the history of, of this famous house that our father built. Um, but, you know, the way we've crafted it, I think it works well. And I think we're telling a story, even though it is very um, just kind of matter-of-fact presentational. But I, I think we've made it interesting. Well, you're really, you're really good at it. Oh, Jackie, well, yeah, I get the opposite impression from you. You seem to enjoy it. I do like it. <laughs> I do. I'm just like, hey, guys, side note, this is where we're going now. Because <laughs> I think I like myself. I have ADD with some stuff. So I'm like, we're telling such an in-depth story of like a like a deep story that it's just like hey okay now let's lighten it up with this and let's let's give you a little bit more detail of what you are watching i do like that aspect of it it's something different i mean you're seeing a a lot in movies now days too so it's cool to be um in a play that also does that well it's funny too because it really does differentiate the style of act one and the style of act two act two has none of that yeah and this is why i also think it's an actor's play because there's a lot of monologues yeah and you know when we're looking for those audition pieces or we're like oh a contemporary (laughs) play you you know all that you do have a lot of lines but when you look at what what uh jake has to do as pip he comes in with a three-page monologue and then steps into a scene that is another (laughs) three-page monologue uh, I think also what's terrifying uh, for an actor when they uh, break the fourth wall is now suddenly their scene partner is not the person that's on stage with them. It's the audience. And so there's this idea of, well, like, do I look at them? Do I connect with them? Do I look past them? How will they react? Yeah. Do I bond with them? Do I react to their reactions? Right. You're not quite sure. And you're not quite sure what they're going to do when you try and make a connection with them. So it, it feels frightening. Because you can't control them and you can't, you haven't rehearsed that. But isn't that exciting? I mean, don't actors claim that their their deepest desire is to be in a moment where they don't know what's going to happen, where they can be literally in the moment with? with... I think it depends on your personality. Uh, uh, that's probably true. Yeah, you, you just like a good long rehearsal process, Betsy, where you know everything's <laughs> going to happen and, and there's little I do, danger. I do like to know what's going to happen. You know, I there is a little bit of excitement talking to the audience and not knowing what's going to happen. I remember with things I know to be true, I also addressed the audience oh, in a yeah, monologue. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think the first, you know, the first time's a little terrifying, but then you feel them with you, and that's a great feeling, like when they're with you and you can feel that and they're laughing with you and they're and they're sad with you. And I, for that reason, I, I do enjoy, but it, but it has to go well. <laughs> it has to go right for, sure. you know. We've taken, uh, we've taken yeah. a little bit of risk, too, with the breaking of the fourth wall here. Anne-Marie has imposed another layer of, I won't say audience participation, because that tends to scare audiences away. That's not what, what's happening. But there is an interaction uh, in a couple of moments in, in, in the play where um, audience members hand props to yeah, Actors. part of part of the construct that, or one of the ideas that we. Uh initiated in rehearsal is that the actors would come out prior to the show starting and they would you know kind of do a little meet and greet and then they would be like oh it's really nice to meet you can you hold this prop for me i'm gonna come get it in about 15 minutes and so we have three or four of those props planted in, in the house what does that do what is that what is, what's the point of that because it's not in the that's not in the script that's an imposition that you and i have sort of layered on top of act one what, what does that get us? I think it uh, gets us uh, interaction, connection. Uh, also, uh, in our version of this play, in order to uh, create the past history of the parents, we've done we've used objects in order to uh, in order to tell the stories of the past. Objects and, that represent those people in in some small way. Right. Uh, so we've made like this object drama, uh, 
part of the style of our show. And yeah. the way we could initiate that style was right from the get-go, right from when the audience uh, sits in the house. Because you don't want uh, an idea or a style choice to show up 20 minutes into the show. You want it right. to be right there at the beginning. And so that was a way for us to initiate it right from the start. But also, we, we do a little bit more than that. We, we There's a pre-show announcement before almost every show anymore where you know we we beg people to turn their cell phones off and not take pictures of us and to to come around later for the buzz this one's a little more aggressive this is one of the more (laughs) (laughs) you're laughing betsy this is a little bit more aggressive uh pre-show announcement we're really against cell phones is that (laughs) I'm actually, you know, the cell phones don't bother me as much as the candy wrappers. That's right. You're a candy wrapper. I, I don't oh, like no. it when people eat during a show. Like, I get that you need something to, you know, help you concentrate for two hours, but can you unwrap the we wrappers had, we before had, the show? We did, we did a production of Glass Menagerie, and I'm not making this up. We had an intermission, and in Act 2, some guy comes in literally five minutes after the Act 2 curtain has risen, and he's managed somewhere out in the lobby to come across an order of nachos and he brings those in no no, I'm not kidding and and goes back he's sitting in the front row by the way on the far side of the stage and he goes in he plops down and spends act two Eating. He's just chomping away I mean, on I nachos. Think we've all, I mean, I think we've all experienced it, right? <laughs> a couple of seasons ago, a, a public hit produced um, uh, Craig Hoff's, not Craig Hoff, what's his name? Keith. Um, Keith. Um, Steady rain, a steady rain, and there's a uh, apocryphal story going around uh, that during the Broadway run of Steady Rain, which starred uh, Hugh Jackman and Daniel Craig, that uh, someone answered a phone during that show, and that show is all breaking the fourth wall and talking back and forth in scenes that snap back and forth between these two characters talking to each other and talking to the audience. Well, apparently a cell phone went off, and and Hugh Jackman was having none of it, and he stopped and he looked down at the audience and he he said, "You want to get that?" You gonna answer that? <laughs> and stopped everything until this, you know, man, rightfully humiliated, uh, turned his his phone off. Well, I think people uh, associate um, the theater with movies, right? When you yeah. go to the yes. movies, you buy popcorn, you get a drink, and and you have this living room or movie experience. But sure. the difference between a movie and and theater is there are actual living beings who are up there who are trying to concentrate and lay it on the line who are three feet, six feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, you know, 15 feet away from you. And when you do something like that, it, it can really be um, destructive to the performance. Yeah. Well, so. I, I think I'm making bets with, with uh, Andrew about how many cell phones we have go off, even after the, the mm-hmm. pre-show plea that we've put in, in place. I bet we get one or two during the run. What do you think, Am? You no, want in I on this bet? I don't care. <laughs> we, just, we just want to get them there there's yeah. always one well, that, always yeah well, or be, a loud vibrate because that that's, that's yeah that's almost as bad <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, is, that is almost as bad you're right well th- this brings me to to audiences general because it's 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 pretty i mean we're pretty lucky that we can sit around and complain about audiences and then turn around and beg them to, to i was to just come. thinking that right? i was like as, as we were like <laughs> Like dogging no, on the phones <laughs> and the candy. I'm like, but but it's a but, really great show. Please come please see come, it. Please come. You know, it's, Just it's, pre-open everything, please. That's that's yeah. the one request. You it's know? a strange it's a strange dichotomy, and I and I'm wondering. <laughs> You know, we had a really nice sort of bump in attendance after the pandemic, and I'm not—I'm not even 100% sure the pandemic's over. We're all acting like it is. We, we're sort of strutting around, but one, one of our fellow Trying companies to. in in town had to postpone uh, a show out at, at NCT. Cherry Orchard was postponed, and and um, we've been—I'm going to knock on wood real quick—have been very lucky um, with our past season and this season uh, so far. But we saw a, a sort of spike in audiences when the doors reopened, and people sort of. We're very happy to come back and join as a group and enjoy these stories with each other. And, and we capitalized on that and felt that it was very important to remind everyone what it was like. We're starting to see a decrease, I think, in, in um, audiences again. Do you feel that, A.M.? Well, it's nice to go back to what is perceived as norm, normal, normal li- living. I mean, inflation is crazy and gas prices are astronomical, but... We are, most of us, coexisting without masks and not thinking about being sick all the time. 
Um, so, you know, people are going back to the things that, that bring them comfort, right? And, and, you know, of course, they may have wanted to be supportive of all of these other things in the past, but, you know, now maybe people have to work more um, because of inflation, and so maybe their energy is being diverted in other directions. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure what the shift is. But don't we hope that, that theater you know, writ large with a capital T is a bomb for some of those things. I don't mean B-O-M-B-B-A-L-M of... Um, the challenge with theater is it's expensive, yeah. okay? Now, are we living in New York City and the ticket prices are 60 and $80 for the type of show that we, that we are producing? No, but our ticket prices are 25 35 and $40. That's very expensive for a, a family of four, okay, if they're going to come see the show. There's that. Well, we're pretty, we're pretty good about offering um, discounted rates. We have our Monday industry nights where there are coupon codes available for even more discounted rates. So I just want to put that out there. I mean, you're right. I'm not arguing with you. I just want to advertise our, our stuff a little bit. Right. Um, but also, when you come to the theater, you have to come into a space and you have to behave. Right. Yeah. You can't get your cell phone out. You can't eat. Right. And you have to focus for two hours and you have to like the actors themselves who are laying it on the line. You are giving part of yourself to the experience. Right. And, and that re- requires emotional commitment. Right. And investment. And not all people are maybe up to that. Maybe they just want their quick fix, you know, on Netflix or on their phone or a YouTube video. And we are not offering a quick fix. Right. We are offering transformational stories that challenge our challenge people's perspectives. And I think well, I think there's been a lot of appreciation for that too. I, I say all the time, and I really mean this. We've really built just a ridiculously smart, engaged audience who hunger for these character-driven stories. I think we're very um, lucky to have that. Um, are, are we seeing you know land office ticket sales on this one? Not yet, but we never do in the first weekend. Everyone right. usually waits till the third and fourth weekend. Yeah, October mm-hmm. 14th we're opening. We're just mm-hmm. about a week away as we record this. Um, hopefully those will start skyrocketing and we'll see more more um, ticket sales. What do you think, I, 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 Jackie, you're sort of new to the Valley and, and new to Vegas, um, so maybe you have a, a less experience with Las Vegas audiences. I wonder what you think audiences' reaction to this show is going to be. You know that after all of our um, productions, um, all of our performances, actually, we ha- ask audiences to stick around, and we, we talk about the show, and we discuss its themes, its discoveries, all that stuff. We call it The Buzz. This podcast is named for that uh, um, behind the buzz. Do you have any expectation of what audiences might see in this in this play once they come in? The intimacy of the space. I feel like they're going to feel like they are just immersed into this story. Like, um, there are many moments, if you are sitting on that first row, that you will be just right there, like with the actor, um, looking up and in the spotlight, you know? Um, I feel that when you told me about the buzz afterwards... Surprise! Uh, I was so shocked because I was like, wait, what? The audience talking back and they're actually engaging in this? And you were like, yeah, they do it. They Some people just come for it. So it'll be my first time really seeing people wanting to speak because <laughs> a lot of people that I know that come to the theater, they just want to be entertained dark, yeah. and be in the dark and go away like... You know, it's funny though. Those some of those folks stay for the buzz too. They just don't talk. They yeah. just sit in the back and they kind of watch. So when the you told me you actually happen. have like interaction, it shocked me because I was like, "Well, I'll stay and listen to other people talk, <laughs> but I may not, you know, talk myself because it is such a language-heavy show that I'm I'm banking on our audiences to get it. But there might be that person like. My husband, for example, and be like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> you just added your husband. I did. He's Australian, so sometimes, oh. yeah, things that we say he doesn't quite comprehend. So. Betsy, you've been through a few buzzes now, and, and a lot of that, um, the intimate um, um, proximity of the audience through things I know to be true, I know was a big topic during those those buzzes. Where do you think the audience reaction is going to be? You have a little bit more experience than Jackie, I think, with our crowd and, and the folks that come to see our work. 
gosh. You I'm know, not. Asking, I, I guess I'm not asking you to, you know, predict anything. I just wonder what you think we might see. Yeah. No. I. Um, I'm really interested to hear what people say at the buzz after this show. Um, you know, I really like going back to um, what Anne Marie said about her dad and her parents. It's such an interesting thing to think of. As you were talking about that earlier, I was like. Oh, yeah, you know, what were my parents like? And I vividly remember they went to the same high school, but they were not together. They were not high school sweethearts as far as I know. And now you're like kind of like, were they? Who knows? (laughs) But they had um, my dad's senior yearbook. I would always sneak pictures of my parents because they both were in it. And to think of them young and, and, you know, and not as mom and dad. Sure. Um, So I think that is so interesting to think about. And I think a lot of people maybe will connect to that watching this show. I could see that being a big buzz topic i see the love triangle maybe being a little bit of of an interesting topic for people and what lina's choices were and what her thought process was and and that kind of thing i think people need some clarification i i think we're doing a hell of a job of making things clear because we've you know put a pin in a lot of ideas but the audience gets one shot sure right and you know what they do, and I think there are a lot of unanswered questions written into the play. Yes. So they get, if they're not concentrating for every single second of the play, and, and who does that, right? right. If, if they don't concentrate for the whole two hours, they might miss a nuance, and so they might come to the buzz and have a question in order to fill in that space. they, they got to spend some time working on their nachos. They can't be watching the play the whole time. <laughs> there are no nachos <laughs> at a public fest. <laughs> now I want nachos. Now we're all hungry for nachos, right? Well, yeah. then, then we should wrap this up and, and, and maybe uh, make nachos. I think this is a pretty... No, I, I'm kind of hungry now. So I, I think we'll put a close. Uh, to episode two of season three's Behind the Buzz. I, I, thanks again, um, Betsy and Jackie, for taking the time to join us. I can reveal now that it's been a really, really, really long day for for all of us. Uh, we didn't mention it, but today was actually, uh, we recorded this on the day that was our wet tech, and um, I'll leave it for another uh, Behind the Buzz to define what a wet tech is. Suffice it to say, we had a very long day, and Betsy and Jackie, thank you for thank taking you. this extra thank time you. to come Thanks for having and us. talk with us. Um, and you guys out there, have you subscribed? These these conversations uh, have quickly become one of the favorite things about the company uh, that we do, and, and we hope you agree. If so, just take a moment, uh, give us a rating or offer a, a quick review. Your feedback really does allow us to build upon these conversations um, and deliver more of what you folks out there are interested in. For a more uh, direct approach, you can connect with us through the electronic mail system uh, by writing us at behindthebuzz at a public fit. We love it when you join us for these conversations. It's a great reminder that art is alive and well in the Las Vegas Valley. Behind the Buzz is a product of a public theater company. It is directed by Anne-Marie Preth and myself, Joe Kukin, and is recorded, mixed, and edited by the prodigious Diane Walton. 